Man, I'm excited for us to be able to record in person again. It's still I know, it's this still is... gonna be a while. But Yeah. I think that there's ways that we can do it safely. Like I think you could come over to my house and you could sit outside and I'll run a mic <laughs> cable out and we'll sit on opposite <laughs> sides of a door. I have seen other podcasters <laughs> do that. If you want to do that, I am very down to do that. I think that's hysterical. Or you could be in the cab of your truck, and I can be in the bed of your truck, and I'm in a like a, a lounging chair of some Ooh, sort. Oh, that's nice. I, I could I got, lean my seat back. Yeah, and I have like a little umbrella that that's up in case I feel like the sun's hitting me a little too hot. And then someone's just bringing us horchata just all day. Ooh. Like Brett Hoy dos is just horchatas. <laughs> dos horchatas, please. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I heard hoard, last time I had horchata was at a uh, a Mexican restaurant, of course, and they just kept bringing me glasses of it. And I was like, "This isn't gonna do anything. I'm gonna finish this glass by the time you leave." So eventually, they just came out with pictures of horchata. It was awesome. Pictures and of I was what? Horchata. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't quite get it the first time. I got very sick the next day, by the way. Yeah, obviously. The, Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. The I mean, famed that's the Mexican horchata hangover. <laughs> <laughs> the like horchata that? hangover. I, I like that very much. <laughs> um, I do have to say, as a disclaimer, obviously we've said this at the beginning of every episode we've ever recorded, but our priority at the Hardy and Sons is the safety of our community. And so we Absolutely. will not be taking undue risk for the sake of recording an episode of a podcast for all six of our listeners, which I think <laughs> has dwindled to five as people have stopped commuting. But, We've uh, lost one, but but we have very supportive uh, five. You know, I think we count two of the five. You know who we didn't lose? Who didn't we lose, Sean? Peter. Peter! Peter from Philly has has come in so strong for us and i it made this episode possible where not only did he last uh last fall i guess ship me several original hardy boys books and along with a couple others um but before doing so i did not know he did this and then i don't know if he was anticipating the if he had privileged information <laughs> did peter have a hand in this <laughs> Or is he just this good of a fan where he wanted to keep us idiot-proof? But he scanned the book and then made that scan available to us so that while I have the physical copy of the book, you also have a PDF I've copy of it. So you've been able to read along for the first time. Uh, we haven't had it's, to share an original copy. It's pivotal. It is amazing, actually. And I get to view it. So I, I'm normally not good at reading on my laptop. I like having a physical book in front of me. But as of late, I found out in, uh, in preview, if you're reading in preview on the newest MacBook, you can actually highlight the text of the PDF. I can underline it. I can write notes. And this is pivotal to me because now I'm not destroying the book. Like, I have such respect for these classic old school books. I think they are tremendous. And the last time, like, I did your book, I had to write notes and I had 10 sheets of paper. Yeah, you had a now printout. Now it's just all here. Yeah, I had to print out. I don't got ink right now, so I can't print out. So this is amazing. I have, Peter yeah. is just I, saving the day. Thank you, Peter. I have no hesitation whatsoever in making my uh, notes in the modern books. 
Like, yeah. I, I will scribble all over those, no problem. <laughs> but yeah, I hesitate to, to put a pen to these pages. And so I was taking photos of pages and like circling things. Yeah. And it was a, a big sort of workaround uh, to preserve the, the integrity of these old books. I like your PDF idea if you're just making digital notes right in line, baby. Oh, yeah. This thing is covered in notes, too. Like, even notes that I don't plan on talking about. It's just notes that say, I like this. Yeah. So there's things in this where I'm like, I like that. That's good. See, that's, the, that's it, high brow. And this brings us to this episode. And after the first, this is our third book. And after third the book, first yeah. two uh, comparison seasons, or, or comparison episodes in the first two seasons where we compared the original book to the rewrite that, that we focus our time on, we did like six episodes of a comparison for the first season. I think we did two yeah. or three and we were trying to like, let's boil it down. Let's get it down to one comparison episode. Let's not drag this out. But I was telling you, like, I did my best to blaze <laughs> through this book, and it is too dense with gold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I've read as far as chapter five. I don't know how far you've made it. I got to chapter five. Okay. I blasted through it this morning. I, I couldn't stop. I didn't even want to stop at five. Yeah, it's it's... It's a real page turner, or in your case, page scroller. <laughs> there is legit gold in this, and the dissection of the Hardy Boys that we get into, like their psyche, they feel also more like high school students in this, and I love that. Well, they're two years younger, but they're they're two years younger, and they're also kind of losers. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I love it. I love that. So. <laughs> Let's let's get into it, and and let me say that our priority with this is not necessarily expediting the reading process, but rather yes. respecting the value of this book, uh, and, and respecting also the work that Peter went through to scan every single page. We are going to give every single page the respect it deserves. And just so that people know, there's over. 200 pages it is a 225 page count that is a lot of scanning i mean that is just pandemic peter at his very best destroying it that's the nickname i came up with that's because good. i do think that peter had a hand in this pandemic <laughs> I, don't, I don't think his his willingness to scan a book is is incriminating Listen, I don't need a lot of evidence to persecute somebody. Okay? <laughs> You've made that clear throughout. <laughs> yeah. Once the idea's in my head, you're getting it. Full blast. By the way, right before we started recording, you were checking your levels and you're like, but I don't think I'll yell. And I think you've been yelling most. <laughs> the, well, the, the, the problem is we don't normally record with headphones. So I got these headphones on. So to me, I'm talking in a normal voice. But when I look down here, I, yeah, I'm yelling. <laughs> you're not clipping your audio, are you? I don't know. I'm not listening. Did you turn on your limiter? I should have walked you through that. You didn't walk me through the limiter. Next I episode. I don't think I'm clipping, but if I am, just add a like uh, a Darth Vader voice to me the whole time, so that the clip is even more disturbing. Just this deep, dark, death metal clipping voice. I you know what I'm that. saying? No problem. Beautiful. Well, sir, book three: The Hardy Boys, The Secret of the, Secret old, of the mill. old Mill, Chapter One. Chapter One. The five, five dollar bill. Dollar bill. A five dollar bill. Sorry. Yeah. Not the. It's okay. It's okay. But right out the gate, big difference from nineteen twenty 
what I what's the actual published date on this? Uh, I'm gonna say 57. No, 58. <laughs> on the original? Oh, on the original? I thought we were talking about the rewrite. On the original, I'm gonna say 1967. Ah, the original Spanish wouldn't Armada? have been written after the rewrite. Your guess was that the rewrite was 54 yeah. and the yeah, original, and then the original was 67. being 67. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not good with dates. 200 Wait, just... copies of Moby Dick. <laughs> the book or the movie? They made a book out of that? <laughs> Wait, what is that? That's Airheads. That is Airheads. Very nice. Football Dude. helmet full of cottage cheese. <laughs> the uh, squirt guns with hot sauce. What a classic film. Um, so this begins... The same way as the other one begins with them at the train station waiting for Fenton Hardy to come back. But a lot is different. Yes. And the biggest, the, the most pivotal change is they're chetless. They're, they are chetless. It is just the two boys. And they also don't use the term alighting to refer to people getting off the train <laughs> 14 times. Yeah. I don't know why they added that. <laughs> I, yeah. Why they would have edited that to keep saying, like, well, as the passengers alighted, Fenton Hardy wasn't <laughs> there. Yeah, who knows? I don't understand why they rewrite these and, and the strange choices they make. Because this is beautifully written. Uh, so the boys say, this is our introduction to them. They're saying, you know, I don't see him. Uh it's like perhaps he stopped at some other town and intends on coming in on the local. It's only an hour later, suggested his brother Joe. Uh, first of all, said Frank Hardy, the older of the pair. Um, the boys waited. They had met the train expecting to greet their father, Fenton Hardy, the nationally famous detective who had been away from home for the past two weeks on a murder case in New York. I love that. So that's different because yeah. – before he was away on some unknown case that he it was yeah. a secret case which turned out to be investigating plant sabotages uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for space travel or whatever um so this is just murder yeah this is awesome i guess they weren't really focused on space travel in 27 <laughs> no they focused more on the murders um but just like the original Fenton Hardy's not on the train. No. They're 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 Fentonless. So they say But without Chet, what is the catalyst to get this five dollar bill? Or yeah. I guess twenty. In the original, Chet made change for somebody who in a hurry rushed by. Uh, and this time, uh, a tall, well dressed stranger swung mm -hmm. himself down from the steps of the nearest coach. He was a man of about thirty, dark and clean shaven. And he hastened over toward them. Do you want to? Do you want to take it? Do you want to give us some of this stranger's voice? Yeah, I'll give you some of this stranger's voice. I'm trying to think of a, a good voice for this uh, stranger. I but mean, here we, we have two voices, so just pick one of them. Well, yeah, I'm gonna pick the one. <laughs> I want to pay a fella a dollar out of this five. Remarked the stranger, as he came up to the boys. Can you change the bill? That's good. That's real good. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty proud of that voice. So he pulls out a $5 bill and then he starts talking. Uh, I could try the lunchroom, I suppose, but there's such a crowd I'll have trouble being waited on. He explained the bill fluttering in his hands. Nice. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, I, oh. I've got I've got $3, Joe. How about you? Joe dug up his loose change in his possession. There was a dollar bill, a 50-cent piece, and three quarters. Good details okay. to have. Yeah. Uh, between them, they can make change, and so they do. He handed Classic. over. Classic. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, said the young man. You've saved me a lot of trouble. My friend is getting off at the station, and I wanted to give him the dollar before he left. Thanks. I mean, this is good deed of the day for the Hardys, and you bet your bottom dollar they are going to talk about it consistently and come up with fabrications of how much this helped this man and the many men to come. I mean, they paid it forward. Not only that, but when it obviously sours, they're yeah. going to take this so deeply and it is going to affect their confidence, yeah, their, yeah. their livelihood, their appetite. It, this is gonna, this is gonna destroy it, the boys. It, it needs to be known right now. The audience needs to pay attention. Frank gave three dollars. Joe only gave two. Okay, Frank gave three. Joe gave two. Don't forget that, because it comes back a lot. And what they should remember is what. Every detective should remember, and that is that a good detective never sighs with discouragement, <laughs> nor becomes impatient. Uh, beautifully spoken words from Fenton Hardy, and uh, I think that was in book one? Uh, hard to say. Hard to say, but that is a pillowcase uh, that sells for twenty six ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine, my friend. That really... <laughs> We are undercharging uh, an entire pillow all over the place. Yeah, for nineteen ninety nine, you get an entire pillow, and you can put this pillow under your head. You could put it under your armpit. You could put it in between your thighs as you sleep. There are many, many things that you can do with a pillow, uh, and that's nineteen ninety nine at Hardy and Sons Podcast uh, dot com. And that is not the website. Just figure out what it really is. I think I was close. I'm glad we were able to help him out, observed Joe. <laughs> Good segue. It was just by chance that I had that small change, too. Mother gave me some money to buy some pie plates. Pie plates? exclaimed Frank with a grin. There's nothing I'd rather see coming into the house than more pie plates. More pie plates means more pie. And that's when the studio audience just <laughs> loses it. They lose it. But why would this? I mean, this is a, a line <laughs> for Chet. Why? Yes. Why remove? Or I, I guess uh, in the original, they didn't remove Chet from the scene. He just wasn't there. But I, I'm, I'm sure he would be excited for the, the pie plates when they come along. But, I will say there's a lot of Chet lines that Chet doesn't say in this book. So, and, and to that end, I think it was smart in the rewrite to bring Chet in. Who, I do whoever too. rewrote it was like, oh man, Chet is in this scene. <laughs> They're just having Frank and Joe say all his lines. Let's yeah. bring him in. Although, for Chet to have the money for the microscope instead of for pie plates, I think is an oversight. It's a huge change. Yeah, that's a huge change. What a crazy change, too. By the way, uh, I think the expression more pie plates means more pie is not something you can really say convincingly without a southern accent. <laughs> like, as I just said it there, like, more pie plates 
means more pie doesn't do anything. No. More pie plates means more pie. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Yeah, you're you're darn tootin'. There's a lot of that, like antebellum sort of language in this book, uh, especially coming from Chet. There, there's some things coming up that I could not read in uh, a normal voice. In my mind, it was a a Louisiana plantation owner who was reading these lines. Can I can I speculate on to why that is? Yes, you can. While these are. I mean, this is New England. They're they're up in the East Coast on the bay. Correct. It's 1927. Times were just simpler. And I feel like for us, the South, generally speaking, tends ah, to embrace this, this mantra simpler of simpler time. times a bit more than I would associate with the East Coast. And maybe that is why subconsciously, we have two voices <laughs> when we do these. We choose the southern accent or the broken Brooklyn graffoli, yeah. and yeah. and those are oh, the two man. mindsets you can be in. I think I think we might be racist here because it seems like whenever we're doing the uh, the poor side of people, we go into the broken sort of Bronx voice, and whenever we're doing the rich, sophisticated people, we go into the southern voice. What's that say about us? I don't think that's racist. I think that's classist. Classist. Which, you're right. Which, yes, racist was the wrong term. Which of all the ists you can be? <laughs> it's the best ist. It's, it's, probably, it's probably the least worst ist you could be. Sexist, racist, ageist, they're classist. all bad. But classist? Yeah. Dude, we're classist men. I like that. <laughs> It's still bad. It's still what? very bad. It's just the least worst bad. But you got you got to be a little bad. You got to be a little bad boy. No, that's I'm a bad boy. That's what attracts the poor ladies. That's <laughs> there he goes again. I did it again. Uh, so they decide, so, you know they've got an hour, yeah. so they'll go down the street uh, and get the pie plates oh, and get the five dollar bill changed. Yes. And this is about to get amazing. Um, I'll give the the little description here as they uh, leave the platform, go down into Bayport. Uh, they were healthy, normal American boys of high school age. Nice. Frank, being a year older than his brother, was slightly taller. He was slim and dark, while his brother was somewhat stouter of build with fair curly hair. As they strolled down the street, they received and returned many greetings, for both boys were well-known and popular in Bayport. Again, these are simpler times, but do you know any popular 15-year-olds? <laughs> oh, like, if man. you're at the grocery no. store, can you think of any 15-year-olds <laughs> that you'd be like, hey, sup? Hey, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> you. Hey, guy. <laughs> Hey, look at that curly hair. My <laughs> God. Your younger brother is slightly stouter than you. See you later, <laughs> boys. You normal, healthy yeah, American call. boys. <laughs> oh, that is and what is normal and healthy for this uh for this time? And what is, you know, a little bit on the chubby side for the Great Depression? Uh it's a good question. It's a good yeah. question that I don't have the answer to. Um Nobody I will does. say have you seen uh, the musical Bye Bye Birdie? No. There's a song uh, about Conrad, uh, the, the main character, Conrad Birdie, 
um, who they're describing him as a healthy, normal American boy. And it's the whole the whole musical is this satire making fun of how Elvis dodged the draft because he was too famous. And this is so Conrad Birdie is this rock star. But nice. they have this whole song where there's this chorus singing this healthy, normal American boy. Uh, but it's it's satire in Bye Bye Birdie, and this seems very genuine. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic! So our two healthy American boys, healthy uh, normal, sorry American normal boys, uh, not just healthy out. but also normal, also normal. That is right. So they head down to uh, a store of some sort owned by a Mister Moss. Yes. A genial man named Moss. A genial man named Moss. That's right. Oh, dude, I, this is one. I love this, and I don't know why. But on their way to the store, um, or they reach the store, and they pause outside the entrance to examine an assortment of baseball bats. Oh, yeah. Discussing the relative merits and weights of each. Then poked around in a tray of mitts, trying them on in a green that none equaled the worn and battered mitts they had at home. I want to hear that discussion on the baseball bats so bad. Yeah, don't don't cut that out. No, I feel like that's prime dialogue that, that we were robbed of. And I think that is normal American behavior. I mean, obviously. You have uh what do they call it? It's not it's not it's the opposite of buyer's remorse. It's when you double down sunk cost bias. There it is. It's when mm. after you've invested something, you then become biased toward it. So like if I buy a good microphone <laughs> yeah. and then a better one comes out, I'll be like, well, that one isn't worth yeah. it because, you know, this I have this one. Uh, yeah. And so that's, you find that's what the they're doing. They're, in it. they're looking at these brand new state-of-the-art baseball mitts and they're like, oh, well, ours, ours are better. Yeah, I mean, ours. sure, this one's got a, a nice grip to it, but, like, if I'm over-gripping, I'm under-swinging. This one has pine tar already in it. <laughs> Listen, I like to cork my bat myself. I don't want to buy it pre-corked, okay? I don't know what kind of cork they're using. It's got to be American-made cork. This one's way too heavy. Hasn't been corked yet. Yeah, no see, these are merit all issues. at all. No merit at all. Come on, boys. Uh, so they walk in, and Mr. Moss starts ribbing the boys a little bit and goes into this hilarious oh, bit that I genuinely like. So they, I love this. So they walk in, uh, and uh, Mr. Moss puts down his, his sheet that he was looking at. Looking for clues? He asked humorously <laughs> as they came in. Yes! This is, this is I mean, they're returning <laughs> greetings all along the street. But the fact that Mr. Moss is making fun of them for being wannabe detectives is just golden. And I think gives us some insight into all those greetings that they were getting on the way is there's there's a little sarcasm in the voices oh, that surround yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and actually here, as sons of Fenton Hardy and as amateur detectives of some ability in their own right, the boys were frequently the butt of jesting remarks concerning their <laughs> hobby. But they invariably took them in the spirit of good-natured raillery in which they were meant. Raillery? Raillery? Yeah, I don't know. No yeah, clues no, here, no. continued Mr. Moss, still going hard on the bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you won't find a single solitary clue in this place. I had a crate 
of awfully nice bank robbery clues in yesterday, but they've all been snapped up. I expect some nice murder clues in tomorrow morning, if you'd care to wait that long. Or perhaps you'd like to order me to order you a few kidnapping clues, size eight and a half, guaranteed not to wear, tear, or tarnish. I imagine that he couldn't finish that without cracking himself up. Yeah. And this should also be known. This was a detail we left out. Mr. Moss is a chubby man as well. Uh, he's so I of, imagine of the two types of people, he's chubby yeah, type. He, he's the chubby type. But you know he's got that Santa belly that's just shaken as he laughs. It's, and you just hear that. His merry laughter. His merry laughter, that's right. You hear his stomach just... And it just adds to it. Like, no one wants to be made fun of by an old fat man. And this old fat man is tearing into these young stud of teenage boys. Well, Mr. Moss burst into a roar of laughter at his own joke, then swung his feet against the side of the counter. I don't know what that does. Um, (laughs) Well, boys, what'll it be? And so they're like, we'd like some pie plates. Three. And then here we go. (laughs) Jokester Moss at it again. Small ones, I suppose. And then chuckled Uh. hugely as the boys (laughs) looked at him in indignation. I like to think that Frank, though, like Frank is embarrassed that Joe just asked for pie plates. Like you're getting made fun of and you're going to ask for pie plates. Like you have to feel like a loser. I, I think Frank was something like, yeah, and uh, give us some raw hamburger fused with glass. And the biggest <laughs> knife you got. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you he- a murder clue. <laughs> Frank just goes insane here. <laughs> uh, I wish that was the case, but sadly, it is not. Uh, instead, Frank says, well, I should say not, returned Frank. The biggest one you've got. As if that was the cool thing to say. Of, no, I don't need a small pie plate. I need a big pie plate. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Moss laughed very much at this also. Uh, There's a lot of... And he swings himself down from the counter. What is there different? Like, this is the second person who's swinging. Is there just, like, monkey bars all over the place? I'm guessing this is shortly after Singing in the Rain was made. And so everyone's just, you know, swinging around lampposts and whatever they can. I don't know. Were Neanderthals still around in this uh, Great Depression time? Are these just like half monkey men just swinging about? Yeah. Little mini, mini trees and things? Yeah, Neanderthals didn't go extinct until the early 80s. I, I believe that's a fact. And Mr. Moss would stand by that fact. He would laugh heartily. <laughs> in which he does at uh, Frank for his The Biggest One You've Got. Yeah. Uh, so he returned uh, with three that seemed to be of the required size and quality. Wrap them up, said Frank, throwing the $5 <laughs> bill on the counter. Uh, and then Mr. Moss wrapped up the plate, then picked up the bill and went over to the cash register. He rang up the amount of the sale and was about to put the money in the till when he suddenly hesitated, Mm-mm. then held the bill up to the light. Slowly... He came back to the counter, rubbing the bill between thumb and forefinger, feeling its texture, and minutely examining its surface. Where did you get this bill, boys? Ooh, nice. He asked seriously. 
We just changed it for a stranger on the train, answered Frank. What's the matter with it? Looks bad to me, replied Mr. Moss dubiously. I'm afraid mm. I can't take a chance on it. Uh-oh. So he says, why don't you, uh, do you have any other money? No, uh, not a nickel, uh, which isn't true. He has a quarter. Oh, yeah, they have that quarter. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, good observation. Not a nickel, said Joe. At least not enough to pay for the plates. Um, but he's like, why don't you go across the street to the bank and ask the cashier what he thinks of it? Uh, so we d we'll do that, said Frank. Uh, keep those plates for us. We'll be back with some real money later on. Uh, so they cross it to the bank. Um, cross the street to the bank. Cashier asks him if they want it changed, and they're like, we don't know if it's good first. So he uh, picks up his spectacles purses his lips Dude. and feels the texture then flicks the bill across to them again sorry you've been stung boys <laughs> puts on sunglasses either that or he puts on boxing gloves and stings them like a bee and then muhammad ali shuffles out of the place i like i like that like their knowledge of counterfeits is all within the textures of the bills and I feel like it's not just money uh, is the way or they're not just telling counterfeit money by rubbing things. That's how they do it with everything. So if they imagine anything is fake, they just rub it in between their little fingers. I got a chuckle out of that. I thought that was hilarious. I like that. I like that. But it's just is this, this is how we're going to tell. This I'm is just our only do this. test at this point. Did you give it the finger test? Yeah, twice. It's counterfeit. Counterfeit exclaimed Frank. You aren't the first one who's been fooled. There's been a lot of counterfeit money going around these past few days. It's very cleverly done, and it's apt to fool anyone who isn't used to handling a lot of bills. Where did you get mm. it? A uh, fellow got off the train and asked us to change it for him. Cashier nodded. And by now he is miles away, probably getting ready to work the same trick at the next station. I guess you'll have to pocket your loss, boys. It's Oof. tough luck. End of chapter. End of chapter. Significantly different. Yeah, we did not get any interest in microscopes. No, not one. We did not meet Chet. Nope, never. Uh, I, I don't remember when Ken Blake came in, but was that in uh, two or is that in one? Was that the cliffhanger of one? Oh, no, that was in two. Or that, that was in chapter one, because they, when they went in town, before they went back to the train station... That all happened with Ken Blake. They drove into town in the jalopy. None of that. No, yeah. No Ken all Blake. Gone. No Ken no Blake. Belgian yeah. No Belgian bikes. <laughs> no jalopy. No Chet. No. No. Uh, oh, I guess that's chapter two. But Oscar Smuff slinking around oh, town. Yeah, we're smuffless. Yeah, we are. We are smuffless. Which is a which shame. Is a spoiler. Because it's I the hope, best scene. I hope Smuff's in this book because he's a great character, and he was in the oh, last the two original versions. Yeah, and he's just written right in the uh, original versions. He has so much fun. So chapter two, counterfeit money. Let's get into it. Let's do it. So the Hardy Boys leave the bank feeling at once foolish and wrathful. And actually, I love actually, this. I, hate, I love the anger. I hate to do this. Let's take a break. Ooh, We're going to take a yeah. quick break, and then we'll come back with chapter two. Beautiful. And with this, the boys take a break. Took a break. And we're back. And we are back. And with that, the break is over. 
<laughs> oh, we should record Nicely a new done. ad. Oh, we should definitely record I a, like a new ad. I like the pirate ad, but I think it's, it's a time. good ad. It's a great ad. Yeah, yeah. We might, it's definitely we might do a new, new ad. ad. In yeah, which, maybe in which a new case, ad just say, played. Yeah, I hope you guys liked the new ad. This isn't yeah, the ad, I hope but you we guys, hope you liked it enough oh. to sign up for Anchor. Yeah, absolutely. Anchor, what a platform. Are we going into the ad right now? No. We oh, just okay. did the ad. Oh, do, when? Well, the ad was played. We haven't recorded it yet. We'll record it after we're done recording the episode. Um, so you're telling me that my thought on time is wrong, that you can't be in 67 for the rewrite uh, to be in 57. Like, you're telling me I don't understand. I'm just saying, like, I am confused. What happened to then? You just missed it. <laughs> when? Just now. Just now! <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 2, Counterfeit yeah. Money. Counterfeit money. So the boys are leaving the bank. They feel dumb and, and just angry. And I love that. I love the rage that we're about to get. Stung, <laughs> declared Frank. Stung by a counterfeit bill. Ooh, if the fellas hear of this, we'll never hear the end of it. And what again, a- this is, this is, they did this before, or no, it was uh, the, the proprietor of the Tower Mansion. What was his name? Uh, the old uh, guy, uh, Herb Her, Applegate Her, himself. Herb Applegate, Turd Applegate, uh, <laughs> Turd with an H. He Turd was the one H, who, baby. like, after being robbed, was just concerned, like, oh, they'll all think I'm a fool. Yeah, everyone will laugh at it's me. Like, no, you were the victim of a crime. Yeah. Everyone is scared that they will be victims of the same crime, and so the fact that the boys, instead of being <laughs> like, hey. There's a counterfeiter on the loose, and we should warn our friends, like, hey, this thing was so legit that it fooled us. Be yeah. careful and check your bills. Instead of that, they're just like, oh, no, they're going to make fun of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so much animosity comes from it. What a fine pair of greenhorns we must have looked to that slick stranger. I'd Glad like to lay my stranger, hands man. on him for about five seconds. I Whoa. bet he's laughing to himself. Ever since, about how easily we were fooled. Man, okay, I like that. What are you going to do with five seconds, Joe? What are you going to do with five seconds? Five seconds strangulation. Is that that like the five-point palm exploding heart technique? I'm pretty sure it is. (laughs) (laughs) Just on the throat. Your Adam's apple explodes. Oh, my God. It's violent. I'll say we were easy. We hadn't a suspicion in the world. Uh, so they, they go on there. They're just talking more and more about, you know, it looked like a real five. Uh, they halted on the corner and again, examined the money. Uh, it was crisp and new and appeared in every spec identical with any bona fide $5 bill that had ever been legitimately issued by the federal government. Hey, Mm. unrelated. Well, I'm sorry. Very related. We've talked about the, uh, half as interesting videos. Oh, I love those. And they did a one about printers that print basically a pattern onto everything that they print so that counterfeiters yeah. can be traced. I watched a different half as interesting video uh, earlier this week. And did you know that the Secret Service has two responsibilities? The Secret Service is to protect the president and to examine money-related crimes. That's huh. that's not a and in the last book we chided them quite a bit of like why is the secret service investigating yeah. this counterfeiter 
Like, no, that's that's their job. The president and money. Huh. Interesting. I can see how yeah. those go hand in hand, though. That makes sense. So if you're listening, half is interesting. Thank you for teaching us things. Oh, yeah. That are full interesting. Uh, so I, I don't want to read this whole thing, but they're just back and forth about like, you know, if we were dishonest, we could palm this off on almost anyone just as it was palmed on us. Oh, well, live yeah. and learn. Uh, I hate to think of that fellow laughing at us, though. It's a nice price <laughs> to pay for a lesson not to be too trustful of strangers after this. Which, by the way, this is when, as a society, we fell. Like, before this moment. moment, you could leave your door open. You could, you know, yeah. lend, a cup of a strain, you know uh, lend a cup of sugar to a stranger. Now, oh, yeah. everything's poison. Everything's fake. Don't trust anybody. Oh, yeah. That's a lesson we take. So, mark it. This, everyone says... The death of John F. Kennedy was the loss of American innocence, but I think it was the $3 stolen from Frank that was the loss and of the, American and innocence. And the $2 from Joe. Not as no, much Joe's of a over loss. It. Joe, Joe's somewhat over it. It's, it's really within Frank. Speaking of, the next sentence. Oh, my God. JFK. Joe. Frank. Cuh. Kennedy. Okay. Cuh. <laughs> Ken. Ken Blake. Oh, oh, oh my goodness gracious. It's, it's a nice price to pay for a lesson, not to be too trustful Wait, is John F. Kennedy not even real? He's just a character of the Hardy Boys? So it's a Leslie McFarland. Creation? <laughs> original. <laughs> <laughs> we have debunked the president. It cost me more than it cost you, Frank pointed out. It was Here just my luck that I had $3 on me and you only had 2 this phase of the matter had not occurred to Joe before, so he felt considerably more cheerful in the thought that he had not, after all, been the chief loser. Mm. I like that. Focus on what's important. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks. There's a counterfeiting ring taking over our city. We cannot trust anyone anymore. But hey, I lost a dollar less than my brother did. <laughs> Dude, Joe's thinking right, though. So they go back to Mr. Moss and they say it's bad. And you're like, you know, it's too bad you were stung, but I'd rather be uh, you than me. In business, we have to be careful. Um, so da, 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 da. we'll be back for the pie plates later, promise, Joe. Uh, we didn't want yeah. you to think we were trying to pass bad money on you. Mr. Moss laughed at the idea, as he does everything. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and Moss ends up telling them something on the lines of like, hey, you could take the plates and just come back and pay me later if you want. And, and they said, we'll be back. So they appreciated, I, I suppose, the offer of, of taking the, the plates on faith, but they declined. Yeah. Uh, so they go back to this train station to wait for their father. Now, in the, in the rewrite, father wasn't on the train. Oh, no, daddy wasn't there. No, Scotty wasn't there. Uh, Scotty doesn't know. Dang it. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. You were close. You were close. Uh, and this, I, I like where we're getting now. So we get into, uh, let's see. They went towards the station to wait for the local train on which they expected their father to arrive. And while they waited, sitting on a platform bench, 
They gloomily discussed the imposition of which they had been the victims. So what they mean is they continued to gloomily yeah. discuss it. They've been talking yeah. only about it since it happened. And I got to say, it's only in Frank who's gloom about this. This, this is hilarious. And, and Frank's, it isn't so much losing my $3, declared Frank. It's the thought of being fooled by such a simple trick. We should have known that the fella had plenty of time to get his money changed at the lunch counter or at the cigar stand or even the ticket office. Instead of that, we dug into our pockets like lambs. Oh, how shameful. <laughs> and then Joe's response. Lambs don't have pockets, Joe pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I was just like, oh, amazing. What a line. But then we go into this like strange fascination with lambs and not as much as I wanted it to be. But then it goes back to Frank. He goes, all the better for them. They're so innocent. They'd be fleeced of everything if you put them in anyway, just like us. I, like, I really wanted him to go into more lamb talk there. That was a great fleece pun, too, that I feel like oh, they yeah. glazed right over. I, I think so That's as well. Solid. I, I also think that uh, the reason for this lamb comment was very much that at the time, Leslie's wife, Sheila, <laughs> really wanted this new coat. Uh, and the coat was a lambskin coat. Obviously. And, you know, she's just like telling, you know, Leslie, like, I want this coat. I want the coat. I want the coat. And he's just like, you know, I lost $3 buying your plates yesterday, Sheila. <laughs> These gigantic pie plates. We don't got the money for a lambskin jacket. But Leslie, it's got such deep pockets, <laughs> so I don't gotta go losing my change. Pockets? Sheila, lambs don't got pockets. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb lady. <laughs> you dumb lamb? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> And then we, so next we get this really, really weird breaking of the fourth wall, a literary device I have never seen before. But it's, yeah. instead of just transitioning to give us some background on who the Hardy Boys were and all this stuff, the, the narrator gives us this. While the Hardy Boys are sitting on the bench, gloomily awaiting the arrival of their father, and preparing to tell him of how they have been fooled by the stranger, it will not be out of place to introduce them still further to the readers of this volume. So essentially, like a play, they're like, yeah. the, the light is going to fade down on the boys over there and fade up <laughs> on the narrator at center stage. Well, thanks for joining Rod us Sterling. <laughs> As the boys in the hotties. Yeah, and then we go into what? How many pages of, of this? Let's see. Uh, two full pages. Two full pages pitching the two previous books. Yeah, and, and giving us some background. I'm going to blaze through some highlights here. As Johnny related blaze. in the first volume of this series, The Hardy Boys, The Tower Treasure, Frank and Joe Hardy were the sons of Fenton Hardy, a private detective of international fame. Mr. Hardy, who had been for many years on the New York police force, and who had later resigned to carry on a private detective practice, was a criminologist of note. Now, 
I want you to put a pin in that because it's important. It. Uh, he knew by sight and by reputation most of the notorious criminals of his day, and his masteries over all the branches of his profession was such as to place him at the very forefront of American detectives. Mm. Um, so he uh, he found it much more lucrative to carry on a practice of his own than remain attached to the service uh, in any one city. Uh, Fenton Hardy and his wife, Laura Hardy, and their two sons, Frank and Joe, had accordingly moved to Bayport, a city of about 50,000 inhabitants, situated on Barmet Bay on the Atlantic Ocean. That's important, too. We're pinning that. Pin it. Uh, there, Frank and Joe had gone to school until now. They were in the Bayport High School. Both boys were fully conscious of the fame their father, uh, the fame of their father, and were eager to follow in his footsteps. Um, then they start to talk about book two. And uh, I'm I'm looking for something in particular here, but because we can't highlight things in this book, it's difficult to find. <laughs> Is it the Christmas had come with many presents, and now warm weather was once more at hand? No, they talk about his age, Fenton Hardy's oh. age. Oh, here, here yes. we go. At, yes, at the I... bottom of 14, after all this, yep. um, uh, th that afternoon, the local pulled into the station, and Fenton Hardy stepped down from the parlor car, bag in hand, a light coat over his arm. He was tall, dark-haired man of about 40 years of age. Yes. So, 40 years of age, if the yeah. boys are 16 and they've gone to school in Bayport for 16 years... That puts Hardy at 24 Yeah. when he left New York after being the best detective they've ever seen. And I just have, like, that's like a three-year career. How did he, like, <laughs> how did this, how is he the world's most famous detective after Whoa. conquering New York's police force? How did he work Bro. himself to top detective by the age of 24? Because he started young. I just got a brilliant idea. You know the Young Adventures of Sherlock Holmes? Yes. We need to do the Young Adventures of Fenton Hardy. Ah. Uh. I mean, that, that had to be the case. He had to be just like his boys, except he did a good job. Ah. Uh. He was salving real crime. He was like, he had that Scooby-Doo nose. He was just sniffing around, you know, good crimes. I mean, and this was uh, probably like, what, that would have been 1890 when he was really starting i believe because he started when he was born yeah okay that checks <laughs> that tracks okay we're good he came out as a baby he he uh he helped with uh women's suffrage and uh all those other great things how's mother he asked after the first greetings i love that's the first thing he asks about not even greeting his kids i know it says after the first greetings but i don't think he did i think he just got off and his kids were smiling he's just like How's mother? Well, no, he, he got off, had a quick, pleasant smile for his sons, and he shook hands with them warmly. <laughs> Hi, you fellas. I'm your dad. Put How's the old hag? <laughs> the old lady. <laughs> She's fine, replied Frank. She said there'd be something special for supper tonight, seeing you're back. Oh, God, I hope it's not more lamb pockets. Joe slowly turns to his dad. <laughs> that's, 
What? Are lamb pockets <laughs> the hot pockets of 1927? Yes, they are. Of the depression. Joe slowly <laughs> looks at his dad. He's just like, but but I thought lambs didn't have pockets. It's Fenton just a lamb bladder full of rice. <laughs> Uncooked Fenton, rice. Fenton's got this like Sherpa jacket on, this giant <laughs> like American gangster pimp coat, like a, 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 a uh, what was his name? Slim something. I don't know. Slim pimp slim whatever uh he opens up his jacket he's just like they do now baby and it's just this lamb jacket filled pocket that's good yeah i'm just trying to think of the slim guy you're talking about because i i know what you're talking about yeah i can't remember uh ice ice pick slim iceberg slim iceberg slim maybe it's iceberg slim could be sounds fine yeah we'll go with that uh, let's see here. Oh, good. What have you two been doing? Kept out of mischief, I hope. We have kept out of mischief, but we haven't kept out of trouble. We just got fooled by a smart stranger who stepped off the express. It cost us $5. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say that, uh, that that stranger was that smart. I mean, you don't have to be that smart to pull a fast one past the uh, the two dumbest idiots at Bayport High. <laughs> That's what they're all going to say. <laughs> so he asked us to make change for a $5 bill. Aha! Exclaimed Fenton Hardy, raising his eyebrows. And what then? <laughs> How high were those eyebrows raised? Well, Good Lord. I like this part. It was counterfeit. And then Mr. Hardy looked grave. Just <laughs> mood swing city over here. Aha! Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Good facial expressions. Have you got it with you? Yes. And I don't think we can be blamed such an awful lot for being fooled. It certainly looks mighty like a good one. Um, so Dad takes it and uh, says, you know, as it happens, I know something about this money. What do you mean, Dad? Asked Frank quickly. I mean that I know... I don't mean that I know anything about this particular $5 bill, but I know <laughs> something about this counterfeit money in general. As a matter of fact... This is why my trip took me longer than I had thought it would. When Ooh. I finished the case that had originally taken me away, the government called me in on this counterfeit money case. Hello, government? <laughs> you called? You rang? Nice to talk to you, government. Say hello to your wife. Yeah. <laughs> So that's a good change. That's an interesting change. Yeah. So he so he explains, you know, there's there's counterfeit tens and and you know twenties, fifties, and uh, there's a good chance there's, there'd be a five or a ten out there too. So uh, it would only have been some time before someone was fooled by a counterfeit, um, and whether the person who passed it to them was one of the counterfeiters or just someone who had been duped or even didn't realize they'd been duped. They may have been genuinely trying to change a five that they thought was real. Yeah. I wish he had asked us to change one of his counterfeit tens instead, mourned Joe. We would have been five dollars to the good. Which no. which doesn't No, it doesn't track. Doesn't make sense. No. Which is just goes to show they really need to pay attention in school. Which brings us to chapter three, the Hardy Boys good. at School. Yeah, I was hoping you were doing that segue. I was hoping you were doing that. Uh so this is just fantastic, and I don't want to talk too much about it until we get into it, but this is the best Chet has ever been. Like, this is outrageous. There are, there are two things 
in this chapter that I love. Uh, Chet is one of them, and the other yeah. is Frank's relationship with Callie Shaw. And, <laughs> and how he... Yes! I mean, if he's this torn yes. up about being you know fooled by a counterfeiter, when Callie doesn't look at him... It affects <laughs> him. So let's get into it. Oh, man. Uh, so if the boys had any lingering hopes that their school chums would not hear of the manner in which they had been fooled, these hopes were quickly removed next morning. Uh-oh. Scarcely had Frank and Joe ascended the concrete steps of Bayport High than Chet Morton, a stout, chubby boy of about 16, one of their closest friends, a lad with a passion for practical jokes, which we'll get to, came solemnly toward them with a green tobacco coupon in his hand. Just something we can all relate to. Something that really <laughs> held up. Aged well. Kids running around with tobacco coupons. With tobacco coupons, yeah. Just the fellas I'm looking for, he, he chirped. My great-grandmother just died in Abyssinia, and I'm trying to raise the railway fare for the funeral. How about changing this hundred... <laughs> there was a roar of laughter from about a dozen boys who were standing about for Chet had evidently acquainted them all with the affair of the previous day. How he had learned of it, Frank and Joe could not imagine. They grinned good naturedly, though, although Joe blushed furiously. Ooh. What's the matter? asked Chet innocently. Can't you change it? You don't mean to tell me you can't change my $100 bill. Please, kind young gentleman, please change my $100 bill. For if you don't, I'm sure nobody else will, and then I won't be able to get to my great-grandmother's funeral in Abyssinia. He wiped away an imaginary tear. That's the southern accent that yeah, I no, imagine it's good, he, obviously. he put on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, said Frank gravely. We're not in the money-changing business. <laughs> you mean you're not in it anymore, pointed out Chet. You were in the business yesterday, I know. What's the matter? Retire on your profits? Yes, we quit. I don't blame you. Suddenly, Chet struck an attitude of exaggerated surprise. Wow! <laughs> Bless it! <laughs> wow! Bless my soul! I do believe this bill is bad. <laughs> Dude, Chet is the original Eric Cartman. I love it so much. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, God. He just digs into him. He peered at the flimsy tobacco coupon very closely, then wiped a small magnifying glass from his pocket. Everyone has magnifying glasses in their pockets. I love it. That's and something we need to start doing. And waterproof cases. And waterproof cases, you're darn tootin'. Uh, he squinted through it. At last, he raised his head with a sigh. Yes, sir, it's bad. It's counterfeit. One of the cleverest counterfeits I ever saw. If it hadn't been for the fact that there is no $100 mark on it, and if it hadn't been for that there is a picture of the president of El Ropo Tobacco Company instead of George Washington, I'd have you completely fooled. Isn't it lucky that you boys didn't change it for me? Isn't it lucky? Congratulations, young sirs. Congratulations. So that is a full page of them. Of ripping. Yeah, of just, just getting it from Chet. And not the first full page of them just getting it. 
This is Moss and Chet, the yeah. two portly fellows Piling just on destroying now. them. I think that this there's like in the world of bullying, and you you have siblings. You have a, yes. You have a brother, older brother. Yeah. You know this to be true. When you're when someone is giving you trouble, good naturedly or otherwise, the worst thing to do is be like, no. That's not what I sound like. That's not what I did. <laughs> That's not what I sound like. That's not what I did. Yeah, you have to lean into yeah. it, laugh at yourself, and move on. Otherwise, it will be the thing. Yeah, the, the ripping continues. And the fact that the boys are like, no, we're, we're not in the money-changing business anymore. Like, it's, <laughs> they should have been like, oh, yeah, we can change that for you. It looks good to me. Huh. And then everyone laughs. They're I got on this the joke. five for you. Yeah. And then they just, yeah. But alas, the boys are dumb. Classic boys. Uh, so then uh, they jested unmercifully about the incident of the counterfeit $5, but the Hardy Boys took it all in good part, uh, which at a point they shouldn't. When everyone yeah. is joking <laughs> in good part at a point, that's not a joke. Yeah. Uh, and the leak had gone out through Mr. Moss, who told Jerry Gilroy... Uh, and Jerry had lost no time Jerry. in acquainting Chet. Um, and so then Phil Cohen gets in on it a little bit. We meet these people. Um, and they call out the boys, too. They're like, hey, if you keep uh, exchanging money for strangers, you're not going to have any more of those rewards left, which I was like, oh, we're finally talking about the reward money that they've earned which, in the last two books. It's important to read this entire paragraph here. Uh, if you keep on changing money for strangers, you won't have much left out of those rewards, declared Phil Cohen, a diminutive black-haired Jewish boy who was one of their friends. He was referring to the money the Hardy Boys had received in rewards for their work in the Tower Mansion case and for helping run down the smugglers. So, yeah, just, I mean, we knew Cohen. That's fine. But... <laughs> They removed yeah. all doubt. Uh, but then they say, I guess we'll st we still have a few dollars, replied Frank, smilingly. We have enough in the bank to buy a motorboat with anyway. Oh, the sass. So instead of the surprise that was planted in the beginning of the book and took forever to pay off uh, in the rewrite, we know they're yeah. getting a motorboat. Chapter, chapter yeah. three. And they're using 20. it to to deviate from the boys making fun of them, which is genius. They're just like, oh, you want to make fun of us? Well, guess who's about to buy a motorboat? <laughs> yeah. Make fun right. of us all you want. Uh, you can do it from dry <laughs> land. <laughs> I'm you... sorry, we can't hear you all the way from the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Over the sound of our motorboat. <laughs> What's that? Asked Chet quickly. Are you getting a boat? The boys nodded. Their chums were immediately interested. Uh, oh, yeah. We're thinking of getting one just like Tony Prito's, said Joe. And then Tony's there, uh, and he said, "If yeah, you're getting, Biff, you can't get a better boat than to get one just like ours." Uh, and I love Biff Hooper overhears the idea of a boat, and he just his lanky amphibian self just comes like marching <laughs> through. He's like, "Did somebody say boat?" <laughs> uh, I wish it was mine," exclaimed Tony. His father, one of the most respected citizens in the Italian colony of Bayport, owned really, a speedy motorboat. I, I like that. 
it, it needed to be known that it was respected within the Italian branch, not within the entire world. It's like, yeah, for an Italian, he's all right. Yeah, the Italians seem to like him. We don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dad told us last night we could get one as long as we stayed in the bay and along the coast with it. Um, so blah, blah, blah. They keep going. Um, they're talking a lot about baseball and it's, and Jerry Gilroy wants him to go to baseball practice instead. Yeah, Jerry's obsessed with baseball. Yeah, and they're saying, well, we don't like practicing baseball all the time. We're going to go take our motorboat out. Um, and uh, then, I am just I mean, they just keep talking about baseball practice. Yeah, it's pretty repetitive. Uh, and, oh, I uh, I got ahead of us a little bit. This chapter ends with... Jerry is saying, you know, uh, we imagine, you know, you'd like to practice. And he's like, you know, I bet you can't catch a measly little fly ball like this. And Chet takes a baseball and throws it up in the air above above Jerry. And at the same time, Tony Preto caught Chet's <laughs> wink and uh, kneels down on his hands and knees on the grass immediately behind Jerry. Classic. And Chet for all his seeming carelessness had thrown the ball just far enough that Jerry would have to step back to make the catch. And Jerry collided with the recumbent figure behind him, staggered, lost his balance and tumbled over Tony Preto while the baseball thumped into the grass. I knew he couldn't catch it. Yeah. Classic. I will say Leslie missed out on what could have been the punchline of that joke. Go ahead. That ball shouldn't have thumped into the grass. That ball clearly should have landed on top of Jerry's head. Yeah. You miss the ball. You fall backwards. He hits the ground and then looks up and goes, oh, and then boom, conks him on the head. That's classic comedy. And he, he missed out. Right. But itself. I did love the setup. It does. It really it's does. Good. And so we learn, all we learn in this chapter is Chet's a jokester. We get yes. two long Chet jokes uh, and the news that they're going to buy a motorboat. And that is all. That is all that, that is we all. got from this chapter. Yeah. And uh, they love baseball. Or yeah. Jerry specifically loves baseball. Um, I am going to make the executive decision that we end this this episode now. Agreed. And then we, we pick up chapters four and five in the first half of our next episode. Um, but I'm just... I think more so than the other books, save for that Lem Billers chapter. <laughs> this is this book just it's so packed and we're not even into the the greater part of the mystery yet, although we're coming close. We're getting there, but we still have a lot of uh, exposition and world setting up to go through, which I like. This uh this takes its time with getting into the mystery. We meet the folks first. Doesn't feel so rushed. I'm excited to hear how our audio sounds. We've switched our setup. We were using oh, Anchor's yeah. app at first, and then we switched to Zencaster, uh, and now we are relying on our professional audio equipment uh, and yeah. FaceTime, which it's also nice to see you during this. I know. This is the first time I've seen you since, like, what? Uh, February, I think. February, yeah. Yeah. So, this is uh, nice. So I hope it sounds good, and we'll test yes. it before we, we proceed with, with more episodes. But thank you uh, for – I know we're a couple weeks behind – Obviously, situation, it's, it's extenuating circumstances. And so to all of our listeners, we thank you for your patience. 
We're going. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're going hard. And with that, the boys uh, ended the podcast episode. Uh, oh. Yeah, come, come on. <laughs> I mean, this is, do we do this? Yeah, we still do this. What was that? I just did. Was that a CSI Miami? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Good. I don't know what just came out of my mouth. I didn't know if I didn't know if the rhyming thing is a part of the uh, always. It was a part always. of the comparison episodes. Yeah, well, it's book three, okay. part two. Well, you got this. <laughs> I like watching you think. It's this good. is good. Yeah, this is critical. Well. We'll be back with more that's live when we do next episode on chapters four and five. Nice. Double rhyme, yeah, baby. Yeah, double rhyme. I'm proud of that. Good job. Thank you, sir. And with that, the boys ended part one of the comparison episodes. Chicka chicka.